Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. We do have 13 minutes to go ahead of the close. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ all declining. Energy producers tumbling along with the price of crude oil. West Texas Intermediate down 3.1% now, dropping $1.33, 4144 on WTI. Gold up 660 the ounce to 1348, a gain there of five tenths of one percent. The tenure up 1230 seconds, the yield 1.50 percent. Equities lower across the board. S&P 500 index falling seven to 2173, a drop there of four tenths of one percent. Dow Industrials down 52, a drop of three tenths of one percent. NASDAQ is down 22, a drop of 0.5%. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. What to do with your money? Well, one thing to do is to ask Peter Anderson. He is the chief investment officer and vice president of Fiduciary Trust based in Boston, home to Bloomberg 1200. Peter Anderson, thank you very much for being with me. You're welcome. Tell us about the cycle. I keep hearing about this whole thing. We're in a cycle. We're out of a cycle. We're in this market, that market. Can you explain what's really going on? Well, Pim, you know, normally you can't. That is a very simple answer. Uh, but this time around, it's quite complicated. And I think it's because uh, we've had these shocks to the system, uh, namely the Brexit situation and these repeated terrorist attacks uh, in Europe. So really, it's very hard. I think you've hit, uh, hit on the main issue, which is where exactly are we in a cycle, or are we even in a cycle right now? And it seems extremely difficult to figure that out uh, this August. And I think it has a lot of people very frustrated because they don't have a real clear roadmap or a compass to navigate through that. Okay, so maybe you can help us navigate this because let's say we suspend our desire to understand whether there's a cycle that's moving Mm -hmm. up or down. There's still stocks. There's still companies that people can follow and get excited about. Or is that like last century thinking? Well, uh, very timely. I do not think it's last century uh, thinking. And in fact, um, I know you and I have talked in the past about quant managers and technical analysis and how that seems to be a center stage right now. But there are certain uh, areas that you can certainly play from a macro perspective. So let me just give you an example. So say we're looking at uh, Europe and the UK and, and we just can't figure out what's going on, which is really the common sense response. I mean, nobody really knows how this is going to play out. Uh, I was very surprised that the UK market rebounded so strongly after Brexit, and I do think that's a head fake. So let's assume that we're not going to be looking over at the UK, and let's look at the good old US of A. I think there's plenty of opportunities, but let's just talk a little bit about mid-cap, US mid-cap stocks, or even US small-cap stocks. It makes intuitive sense, right, because these companies uh, have most of their business concentrated in the U.S., they're small enough that they probably, a lot of them, do not have subsidiaries overseas. So if you're a strong, uh, if you have a strong opinion on the U.S. consumer, that would be a logical way to play out this absence of a cycle, if you will. So if you're looking at those small and mid-cap stocks, what are the characteristics of the companies that you want to own? 
Well, some characteristics are first that they are small enough that they have the majority of their business based in the U.S. because you want to be a little bit insular right now given that there is uncertainty overseas. Uh, the other thing is they have to have strong balance sheets, the usual things that you would expect from a strong company. Uh, and in sectors, for instance, it is, I think most people will agree with me, that it is now a consumer-led slow but steady recovery. Uh, this is not, this is what I would call almost a growthless recovery, but it certainly isn't a jobless recovery. We've seen that last uh, Friday. So play into the consumer um, durables and consumer discretionary small and mid-cap uh, mutual funds, uh, funds that focus on that area or ETFs, for example. Well, I was just looking at the Russell 2000 index, which is composed of the smallest 2,000 companies in the Russell 3,000, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Year to date, the Russell 2,000 is up seven and three quarters of a percent. Mm-hmm. That's better than the S&P 500, which is just up six and a half percent. That's right, yes. So does that exemplify the kinds of companies that you would be looking for? Yes, it does. And, and uh, you are right. In the mid-caps also have done very well, uh, say, anywhere from, say, 5 to 7%. Uh, 7% is probably uh, a little bit on the high side, but you can find um, strategies that would give you that return. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not a bad place to be, right, because the alternatives are – pretty hard to convince yourself that you can have a solid thesis uh, as to why you would be investing in the UK right now. Uh, another area that I think is uh, people tend to think is more risky, but from a common sense perspective, if you're looking for income and you have the stomach to um, to, to tolerate this kind of risk is U.S. high yields. You know, I've played in U.S. high yield for a long time in my career, and uh, right now is a very, very attractive time. Not to load the boat up on that, of course, but have a diversified portfolio. But the default rate on U.S. high yield bonds, if you carve out the energy uh, segment, it's very, very low. And I think that that also plays into our theme of the recovering, uh, c- continuously recovering U.S. consumer. Uh, companies, small, uh, high yield companies tend to be smaller companies, uh, just like the small cap equity companies. And it's a nice compliment. As far as this search for yield goes, when did it become fashionable to hunt for yield? In the stock market, I understand the whole relative issue of, you know, treasuries and corporate Mm -hmm. bonds Mm -hmm. or just high yield, as you described. Mm -hmm. But as I think back over the course of a couple decades, you wanted to buy a stock of a company that you thought was going to go gangbusters, that was well managed, had a market penetration, a moat around it to a certain extent. You weren't questioning really whether they were going to give you a dividend. You wanted to invest in the growth of the company. That's right. And, uh, you know, uh, some people have fallen astray from that. I couldn't agree more with your your comment there and narrative. Uh, I do think that people have kind of lost their way in the sense that income-producing instruments tend to be fixed income. And uh, if you're looking for high-dividend stocks, sometimes you can be led astray because the balance sheet, et cetera, uh, could be stressed 
for that company to continue paying its dividend. And uh, some, as you know, have policies where they want to increase the dividend every year. And that's kind of the dividend tail wagging the dog, if you know what I mean, because you want to buy first a company, a stock that is well-grounded, has excellent fundamentals, and, oh, yes, by the way, it pays an attractive dividend, not the opposite. Model portfolios. Tell us a little bit about how that whole world has changed, because it used to be the 60-40 split, yep. and it also used to change as the investor got older. Mm-hmm. Model portfolios, you know, that also ties into uh, this rather ironic title of modern portfolio theory, but, you know, that's been around since the 1950s, and uh, we really haven't changed uh, the the formalism by which we invest with uh, diversification and uh, an ideal outlook on the way the stocks move are uh, related to each other. I do think that that has taken a little bit of a second uh, stage now to a, a more formal way of looking at things where you say to yourself, well, these correlations might not be exactly historically uh, correct going forward, and we need to tweak this a little, especially if you have a shock to the system. So uh, right now, people still, if you distill everything, most portfolios are 60-40, uh, and it depends on what you're calling fixed income now and what you're calling equities. But one of the things that can lead people astray is if they think their portfolio is 40% in fixed income. But if you take a peek under the hood, Tim, and see what kind of assets are, say, in uh, a fixed income mutual fund, for example, you have to be very careful to realize that fixed income should be risk mitigating, we call it, and it should be high quality and not a fund that has junk bonds in it, for instance, because then that takes on a different tone and it's not risk mitigating. It's actually return generating. So there is a formalism now that's kind of taking over the usual 60-40 uh, terminology and it's getting a little bit more subtle, and I urge people to really take a closer look at what their funds are invested in to get a sense of where the risk actually uh, lies. Peter, are investors uh, scared to take profits? Hmm. I think uh, investors are just scared of a lot of things right now, and that is probably, if you ask me, you know, among the top three, if that's one of them, I'm not sure it would be. I think it's more that they're frightened to make decisions, and uh, it might come out as, uh, you know, the appearance that they're they're not taking profits, uh, but I do think it has more to do with this unique time we're in and the indecision that a lot of people have to live through. Thanks very much. Peter Anderson is the chief investment officer, also vice president of Fiduciary Trust, based in Boston. If you're listening to Taking Stock, we'll take you through to the close on Wall Street. I'm Pim Fox, and this is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.